Welcome to Stories from the First Watch. This is both a solo game and an experiment in storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control. Two weeks ago. The dwarf hurried down the dimly lit corridor, footsteps echoing heavily on the flagstones. His face was red with the exertion, and sweat beaded on his brow. He clutched tightly onto a rolled up parchment. Stopping in front of a thick iron framed door, he knocked hard with his free hand, and gathered his breath. The door swung open, and two black clad dwarves nodded him through, into a large ornate throne room. Unlike much of the citadel, whose inhabitants were accustomed to seeing in the dark, this room was brightly lit by braziers that somehow gave out no smoke, the flames green and blue in colour. On the throne sat an imposing dwarf, whose jet black hair was framed by a delicate silver diadem. Oh, Snorri, he rumbled in a cavern deep voice, what news from the manlings? I hope our friend Merrick has finally seen sense. I am not keen to read any more of his whining. The messenger took a deep breath. I think it is best that you read his words for yourself, my lord Bargrim, he quavered. He proffered the parchment, which one of the black dwarves took and passed on to the seated figure. Lord Bargrim took it with a frown and read through it slowly. The frown stayed and even got deeper. When he finished, he tore the parchment in half and tossed it onto the floor. This human tests my patience. His kin have benefited from my generosity for years. They have made fortunes from my predecessors. No longer. We have the materials. We can make our own weapons. They will soon realize they need us more than we need them. Inform our miners. We will stop the caravans until we are paid what we are worth. Snorri nodded. Yes, my lord. I shall see to it straight away. He turned to go, but Bargrim held up a hand. Before you go, he said, I also want you to recall our ambassador from that pox-ridden human town. Replace him with someone of low status, one of Varun's acolytes maybe. We need to show these manlings what we think of them. Snorri smiled. I agree, my lord, he said. I knew just the dwarf. Day 3, late afternoon. Narvi had a dreamlike expression on his face as the party took a moment to reflect on the last few minutes. Elmander busied himself with hacking off one of the Draco's claws, ignoring Elwyn's offer of a poultice to bind his latest wound. Mara and Kilia talked in low voices together, trying not to look at the beast's corpse or the gnome's bodies. Tomta and Nyssa had taken off, climbing nimbly up the rock formation that overshadowed the pond. After a few minutes, the party heard their high whispering voices calling them. 
Strangers, said Tomta. Look what we have found. The party shook themselves out of their various reveries and followed the two gnomes up the steep rocks. By the time they reached the cave mouth at its peak, their hearts were pounding and they breathed heavily. Cautiously entering the cave, they saw what the gnomes had discovered. Arranged in a rough circle of debris, including scraps of clothing, branches and bones, both animal and humanoid, were four huge eggs, each about the size of a watermelon. Oh no, said Mara. That means there's at least one more adult somewhere. We were only hired to deal with one, said Elwyn, somewhat sourly. The others raised their eyebrows. They had never known him not to be in good spirits, but they put it down to his impatience to get to Hollow Hill. Well, growled Amanda, we can at least damn well make sure that none of the kids come seeking revenge. Before the others could stop him, he brought his sword down in a great arc upon the nearest egg, smashing it to pieces and pulping the semi-formed infant inside. He repeated this with the other three, taking out his anger until the eggs lay in fragments across the cave floor. Feeling better? snarked Kilia, but Almanda ignored her. Kilia sighed and turned her attention to their surroundings. Behind the Scenes That was the most dangerous combat the party has faced so far, and Na'vi is very lucky to be alive. Rather ironically, as it was he that argued most vehemently to help the gnomes. The eggs present a potential problem. I rolled to see if there was a nest nearby, and deemed it likely due to the lizard's feeding habits. I rolled a 43, so there was indeed a nest. Does this suggest another Draco parent is nearby? I would say 50-50. 54. Fortunately for the party, there is not. But is there anything worth finding amongst these piles of rubbish? 50-50 again. 50, yes, there is something here. I will roll twice on the basic fantasy treasure lists. First roll. A semi-precious gem, which is an amethyst, worth roughly 50 gold pieces. Second. An arrow made of silver. This causes plus three damage versus the undead. We haven't encountered these loathsome creatures yet, but you never know. There are also 5 gold pieces and 13 silver pieces scattered around the floor, perhaps from the purses of previous unlucky adventurers. Kilia takes the arrow, whilst Na'vi holds the rest of the treasure on behalf of the party. Let's return to them. Day 3, Night It was a few hours later. The party had made their way carefully back down from the high ground on the alert for a revenge attack from an enraged parent Draco. But none came, and the further they got away from that cursed place, the more they relaxed and finally began to talk again in low voices. Master Navi, said Kilia hesitantly. How... how do you feel? Navi looked at her. His countenance had lost some of its ecstatic zeal, but he still had an air of euphoria around him. I feel, he said. I feel reborn. I have my life back. And I have my purpose. Elmander rolled his eyes and made a circle with his fingers by his ear. Secretly though, he was delighted his new friend was still alive. He had tied the Draco's claw to his pack 
and had also taken a large piece of eggshell. Tomta and Nisa, meanwhile, were downcast and even more silent than usual. They carried the remains of the three gnomes on a makeshift stretcher fashioned from materials in the cave, yet they still nimbly picked their way amongst the treacherous roots and rocks. Finally, the group found themselves back at the King of Limbs. Tomta and Nisa began the high whispering chant of the gnomes, and shortly after the tunnel was bustling with activity. A horde of gnomes poured out, surrounding the party in a semicircle. Last again, the larger figure of the Queen emerged. The crowd parted, allowing her to proceed through. The party kneeled, and Elmanda presented the claw and the eggshell to her. The Queen had a whispered conversation with the two guides, then turned to the party. It seems you have achieved what I asked of you with some cost to yourselves, she said, looking at Navi. For this, you have our eternal gratitude. You will be escorted from our realm as honoured guests. But first, take these gifts with my blessing. The Queen clapped her hands again, and two gnomes appeared through the crowd. They wore masks adorned with antlers and long cloaks. Behind them they carried a hempen sack, which they placed on the ground in front of the party, and opened. They retrieved some bundles of plants, which the Queen explained were golden snake root, a powerful stimulant. Each party member was also given a beautiful dagger, hand-carved from entwined oak and ash, and sharpened to a point that was maintained with sap. The Queen then touched each of the kneeling party members on the forehead, then stepped back. Farewell, friends of the Greenwood. She nodded at them, then returned to the earthen halls. The party were led to their burrows, and slept heavily and well. In the morning, after another mushroom breakfast, they were led to the palace entrance. The gnomes stood and serenaded the party with their high, whispering voices. The Woodfather bowed to them. Thank you, friends. Tomda and Nisa will fulfill our side of the covenant, and take you by the quickest route to the human village. Then slowly, he and the rest of the gnomes filed back into the dark, leaving only the two scouts standing with the party under the twisting boughs of the King of Limbs. Behind the Scenes As well as a good night's sleep, which increases the injured member's hit points by one, the party have just received gifts from the gnomes. They may initially seem underwhelming, but in fact, these are fairly potent items. The daggers are imbued with the magic of Walia, and provide a plus one bonus to any attack, in addition to advantages against magical foes. The plant is a golden snake root, which is a homebrew item whose name I got from the roll and play book of random tables. It is a robust stimulant that when taken adds two to the user's combat, saving throw or ability checks for the duration of one hour. There are enough for three doses. In addition to the amethyst, the silver arrow and coins, there's not been a bad haul for the party. They will now be continuing their journey through the rest of the Shadow Woods. There's around six more hours of travel before they reach the borders of the woods. I will roll for wandering encounters every two hours. On a one, the party will face some new threat. 
Hour two. Four. Hour four. Six. Hour six. Four. It seems the party have finally reached the end of the sinister forest, and without any further danger. Let's see what faces them next. Day four, late afternoon. Party status: Kilia, four of four hit points. Elmanda, six of eight hit points. Navi, six of six hit points. Mara, four of four hit points. Elwyn, eight of eight hit points. Spells available: Read Magic and Shield. The journey through the northern reaches of the Shadowwoods had been uneventful. The two gnomes led the party nimbly and skillfully through the woodland, and they avoided the higher ground where they had previously encountered the Draco. Spirits were higher, and Elwyn had regained his former poise. The woods were almost pleasant here, dappled with sunlight and scattered with occasional clearings where wild flowers grew. The party, although still alert, felt more comfortable talking to each other. And began to learn a little more about their very different lives. Tomter and Nisa were as inscrutable as ever, keeping themselves to themselves. But it did seem that a weight was lifted from their shoulders, now that the threat to their people had been neutralised for the time being. The sun was starting to lower in the sky when Kilia called out. "I can see gaps in the trees ahead," she cried. Sure enough, after ten minutes or so. They saw that the woods were drastically thinning out, and another five minutes later, they saw the reason why. The fringes of the shadow woods had been cleared. Around six or seven acres of land ahead featured nothing but tree stumps. In the distance, the party could make out a timber wall in the valley below, with chimneys poking up behind it. Tomta and Nisa stopped, their faces twisted in horror and distaste. This is where we leave you, humans and stonekin. Nissa said, "We cannot accept this devastation to our flocks. Sooner or later, we will be in conflict with these destroyers. But for now, we thank you for your help, and we must return." The party bade them farewell, and they slipped like shadows back into the woods. Well then," said Elwyn, "this is Hollow Hill. We are here at last." They walked out into the field of stumps. Nearby was a large wooden structure, presumably some kind of timber yard, that stood on the edge of the valley. Further down, the party could make out the outlines of buildings, around a dozen or so, enclosed within the timber wall. What kind of reception are we likely to get? Asked Elmander. Who knows? Said Elwyn. It has been almost a week since I was last here, and it was tense at the time. If the village has suffered further raids, they may not take kindly to us. But the reeve of the village knows me, so that should help our case. I hope they like us enough to offer us real beds," said Mara, half to herself. The five of them took one last look at the looming trees of the shadow woods behind, then started to descend the hill towards the village. Behind the scenes. 
So the party have finally reached the village of Hollow Hill after their trials in the Shadow Woods. What kind of place have they arrived in? I used a number of resources, including Roll and Play and YumDM's brilliant D12 zine to conjure up the place. Hollow Hill is a small logging village, roughly halfway between Forlond and the Copper Hills. It was founded around 20 years ago as an outpost of the provinces, and was settled primarily by retired veterans from the provincial armies and their families, who saw the potential in the logging trade and wanted a quiet life away from the larger towns and cities. It consists of 14 dwellings plus an inn, which goes by the improbable name of the Winking Chicken, a small temple to all gods, a general store, a timber yard, and a militia house and armory. There is also the Reeves house, home to Denwald, the village Reeve. He is responsible for the safety and upkeep of the village, collects taxes, and mediates disputes. He also controls the village militia and can raise what's known as the hue and cry, the process by which the villagers are summoned to ward off invaders or other dangers. Being a village of former soldiers, many of the villagers are trained in arms, although they are much older than in their glory days. The younger villagers mainly farm, run the public buildings, or work in the timber yard. So this is a basic overview of the village. As Armanda asked, what kind of reception are they going to get? Let's check in with the GM emulator. The village has suffered many raids recently, and some villagers have been snatched away. Therefore it's likely they will be suspicious of newcomers. They do know Elwyn, which may help, so I'll add 5 percentage points to the roll. Let's ask the emulator. I'll set the chaos factor at 5, as things are relatively calm at the moment. Are the villagers suspicious? 80 above is a no. 32. Yes, they are suspicious. I'll get Elwyn to roll a charisma check. I think he might try to bribe the gatekeepers to let the party in without having to report them, so I'll add a 1. 15. Even with the bonus, that's just about a failure. Let's see how this plays out. Day 4, early evening. Party status, unchanged. The two gatekeepers saw them coming and immediately changed their demeanours, standing to attention with spears at the ready. They were stood in front of a rickety looking wooden tower, in which was set a door. State your business, one said. All visitors must report to the Reeve. No one gets in without his permission. Elwyn stepped forward, smiling. Macus lad, you remember me? Elwyn. I was here just last week. Aye, I remember you, scowled the short, stocky young man. But like I say, Reeve's orders. Elwyn flicked his wrist, and a gold coin appeared as if from nowhere. You're doing a great job, he said. But how about I give you both a couple of these, and you take us straight to the inn, hmm? We've had a long journey, and we could do us some rest. The other young man butted in. You deaf, old man. All visitors report to the Reeve, he snapped with youthful bravado. Elmanda made a step forward, but Elwyn put his hand back into the tall man's chest. Quite so, he said, smiling. Very well, boys. Take us to Denwald. 
The youths, bristling at being called boys, opened the gates and glared at the party as they walked through, staring slightly too long at Kilia and Mara. They shut and bolted the doors behind them, and the party found themselves in Hollow Hill. The goblins crested the ridge. They had been travelling for over two days now, skirting the eastern fringes of the shadow woods. They were feeling more purposeful, as the meat from their former comrade, plus a fortuitous bagging of an adult female deer, meant that they had temporarily conquered their hunger. The top of the ridge gave them an impressive panoramic view over the landscape below. They saw the dark green canopy of the Shadow Woods stretch out like a great carpet to their west, and far to the north they could see the distant mist-covered peaks of the Copper Hills. In the foreground, not much more than a day's travel away, they could just make out the smoking chimneys of the village of Hollow Hill. They gave a triumphant hissing cry, they were close to their lair, and then the humans would pay for their insolence. Druk raised his axe above his head and let out a ferocious roar. Then the band began to descend the ridge, honing in on their target. Thank you for listening to episode 6. I'd like to thank Emily Cohen for reprising her role as the ethereal Queen Walia of the Gnomes. I'd also like to thank Roll and Play and Yum DM for their great resources, which I used to help me create the village of Hollow Hill. You can find links to their products at my blog, firstwatchstories.blogspot.com. The party have been rewarded by the Gnomes for their bravery, and have finally escaped the Shadow Woods. Now they are in a new situation. Will they help Elwyn complete his mission? And what adversity will they face next? Join me next time for more stories from the First Watch. Are you looking for a D&D podcast for the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. <laughs> <laughs>